America, I tell people, America, there has a lot of problems, but it's also a land of a lot of opportunities. So if you focus on the problems, guess what? You won't get anywhere. But if you look for the opportunities, there are opportunities everywhere. You just have to look for it. Welcome to the Immigrant Experience in America, an immigrant human library, where we amplify and humanize the experiences of immigrants in the United States and around the world. Listen in as we add another story to our immigrant human library. Welcome to part two of the previous episode. You mentioned that you met the guy who started the first, was it Burger King or McDonald's? Right. So each day we'd have, I had a different person take us around to the different types of businesses. And uh, this particular gentleman, he took me to Soweto. He's the guy that took me to Soweto. I think one day he took me to an Indian township. And the Indians, they thought I was Indian, you know, because I'm dark-skinned, and I, I uh, but I'm actually part Chinese, not Indian. But they didn't know. But they were, they thought of, they were welcoming me and giving me food and everything, complaining and telling me, "Oh, you're from Atlanta," and they were so excited. In talking to this driver, he told me that McDonald's was planning to come to South Africa, and they had picked him to be their first franchisee. He was nervous about it because he said he had to borrow money from his uncle and. They wanted him to quit his job and come to America to go to some training. And he, he was very nervous about it. And I said, listen, don't worry, man. You're set. This is the best thing that could happen to you. You know, you'll be a millionaire in no time. So I reassured him, you know, and he was a little nervous about that. So that was interesting. McDonald's did move in there, and I'm sure he's doing pretty good now. And then you were here during the, the Olympics that came to Atlanta. What was that? Oh, like? yes. Uh, in 19, what was that? 1996. Uh, yeah, I was working. I was still at Coca-Cola. What they did, they assigned a lot of their employees to work for the Olympics, you know, do different jobs. And my job was working on the hotline. I remember uh, people would call in with questions about how to get from venue to venue, what the bus schedule was like. I remember somebody calling from China complaining that, the Chinese athletes were, were being mistreated. They weren't getting enough Chinese food. And, <laughs> and people were calling from Europe, wanting to know, you know, who was winning and what was the weather like. It was, it was, you know, we had some fun moments. It was interesting. I guess that's how the reporting was done back then. It wasn't a lot of reporting. They weren't able to, to get the information like online or something. They had to call to talk with you. Yeah, well, I don't know. Maybe some people just felt like calling. But yeah, probably, you know, they, you wouldn't get instantaneous results. Like today, everything that happens you, you next minute, you know, right? Yes. Yeah, it's completely different then, yeah. But I also got to go to the games and um, watch a few world records and so on. So that was wonderful. It was a great time. But the the, the big thing about Coke was, you know, I got to travel, you know. I mean, I, I funny story is that when I worked at Reynolds, you know, in Jamaica, there was a guy there who married a Canadian lady and she used to, her hobby was reading palms. So everybody would go and read my palm, tell me what's going to happen. And she looked at mine and said, Oh, you're going to travel all over the world. And I'm saying, yeah, right. You know, <laughs> Cause here I am in the country. Things look pretty bleak at the time. And she's telling me I'm going to travel all over the world and all of that. And sure enough, I, I look back on that and I said, well, maybe she, there, there is something to that. I think I've traveled more than most people, the average person. Sometimes when I hear these stories, it makes me want to go find one of them to find out, like, you know, here, <laughs> tell me that you, tell me, tell tell me what me you what... can see. <sighs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah, well, maybe there's something to it. But... So then we talked about the fact that you later, you had your time with Coke, you spent 40 years in 
in uh, the Atlanta, Georgia, Georgia area, and then you went on to do a PhD. So tell us more about some of those stories right. and, in so, your dissertation. Right. So after I left, I started a, a couple of businesses. You know, I, I opened a restaurant and a shopping mall. Um, I think that mall is closed now, so it didn't work out the way I thought. Um, and then I also started an import business where I was importing coconut water, um, June plum juice. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Frozen from Jamaica. So all of that stuff. So I was driving around Atlanta, meeting all the restaurants and business people, uh, delivering stuff and trying to collect money. <laughs> uh, so it gave me an appreciation. I really enjoyed it, you know, getting to meet the people, you know, in their, where they're working and so on. I really, it, it just hit a nerve with me. And I wanted to understand how people decide to do those things, you know. So I decided anyway that, you know, hey, I could go back to school. and Because and, uh, I've always been academically inclined, you know. I always liked it. Believe it or not, I like to take tests. <laughs> so I signed up in an online program you know and I next thing you know I I was uh, reading my defending my thesis so I wrote I wrote a, a dissertation on Jamaican entrepreneurs yeah they accepted it they gave me a degree and I turned it into a book I converted it into a book with 15 of the entrepreneurs and it's, the book is called Jamaican entrepreneurship very uh, interesting and you did it both um, studying uh, Jamaican entrepreneurship in the United States and, and some of it about what's going on in Jamaica too. Right. So interesting thing. So my goal was to interview, you know, Jamaican business people who were successful, not just Joe Blow, you know, but people who were the big names, right? The guy who started Sandals, the Michael Lee Chin, you know, who was the first Jamaican billionaire that we know of. The guy who founded Tasty Patty, you know, the... Um, Golden Cross. Golden Cross, you know, yeah. So people like that. So it wasn't like Joe, you know. Here's the thing. I got the first interview, right? No problem, right? That was set up and it worked out fine. Then it took me like three months to get the next one. And I said, wow. Oh man, did I make a mistake with this? I need to rethink this PhD thing, you know, it's it's not working out. But I decided, well, I'm gonna go all in. And so I bought the ticket, went down to Jamaica and spent a, you know some weeks down there and uh, and I, yeah, it worked out. I was able to meet uh, with help from some friends, uh, get interviews with you know, some very influential people. And uh, so I have it all documented and I was able to write my thesis. So give yeah. us a gist for what you found out from the dissertation about why there's such a high level of entrepreneurship from Jamaicans, whether it's in the Atlanta, Georgia, all over the U.S., really. You'll see Jamaican restaurants everywhere, different kinds of businesses. I don't necessarily think that it's as high on the island. Not sure why, but the ones who leave tend to be very entrepreneurial. And and uh, mm-hmm. what, what did you find in your research? Right. So usually what happens is that uh, Jamaica is very is quite entrepreneurial uh, on the on the the, ra- the ratings. Jamaica rates very highly. The problem is most of them are what we call um, necessity entrepreneurs. They have to do it because they don't have any. Probably they're not educated enough to get a good job, or there's no job available for them. So they have to, as we say in Jamaica, hustle. You know Higglers, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. So those are ent- entrepreneurs. You know they're doing their thing. They're making money. And a lot of people do that. So it's a natural thing. Okay, maybe they're not making a lot of money, but they're still entrepreneurial. 
They're trying to do something, or as they say, try a thing, right? Try that, a thing, yes. Exactly. Everybody's trying to try a thing, right? And so it's we have that. And then we have another class of entrepreneurs who are what we call the opportunistic entrepreneurs. These are the guys who they see a, an opportunity that can go big. Yes. And they scale up. So, for example, Lowell Hawthorne started with one restaurant, and then before you know it, he's got a franchise chain, right, across the U.S., and what was the name of his place in Jamaica? I've heard the name before. It was a bakery. Um, is it Hawthorne Bakery or something? That there was, was a- yeah, they, yeah. So when he was growing up, they lived in uh, in a small town in St. Andrew called Boulder, I think. And oh. uh, his father had a bakery. But remember now, this is back in the day. No electricity, no running water, no nothing, right? So they had to wake up at four in the morning to get everything ready for the bakery. And they did all of that manually, not no electrical anything. And then they had to deliver the bread before they went to school. So he learned to be entrepreneurial from that, from those days. And I think he mentioned, he told me that he he would raise, you know, chicken and pigs and so on. And then he would sell them to his mother, who would then take them to market. And so he learned that, you know, hey, I can make things. I can have one chicken. Uh, I can have eggs. The eggs can turn into chicken and the chickens can turn, you know, I can buy a goat and before you know it, the rest is. So he he learned that at an early age. And so when he went to New York, man, he saw the opportunity and he took it. Wow. Uh, so that's the thing. So the thing about entrepreneurs is, uh, is that entrepreneurs are people who don't dwell on the problems that they see. In other words, if you look around, there are always a lot of problems, right? And a lot of people will always say, well, you can't do anything because that won't work or they won't let you do this or whatever. But the entrepreneur will see an opportunity. He said, okay, a lot of Jamaicans are here. They can't get patties. Hey, give them patties. You know, let's make some patties. And yes. He sees, he sees the opportunity, right? He sees what, what's possible. And that's the thing. That, that is the key. Well, just about all the stories have something similar to that, where they, they saw an opportunity and then they, they took it. And they took a risk, okay? It's not for everybody because you can lose your shirt. You know, it's, it's just the way it is. So the trick is do it early enough when, you know, you, your whole life is not ruined. <laughs> so, but you had some interesting story about like, for example, how Butch Stewart started and how some of these people, like the opportunistic ones, like what were some of the stories that you uncovered through doing these, some of these interviews? Right. So like Butch Stewart's a fascinating story because he actually didn't start out in the hotel business. He, he used to be a salesperson for some company. And he didn't, first of all, he didn't, he wasn't like an academic person. I think he went to a lot of different schools and, you know, apparently had. And one of the things I found too is a lot of these entrepreneurs, they were not academic minded. They didn't do well in school. A lot of them dropped out of school. And I explained that in my book that some people, the way their brains work, it's completely different. It's not geared to the academics, but it doesn't yes. mean... It doesn't mean they can't do anything because they're actually more creative. They're more inventive and, and they can think outside the box. They see things in a different way. And usually, typically in school, you're looking for the one right answer, right? The textbook tells you this is the answer. And if you put something else, it's wrong and you, look, you, know, you don't get the grade. But in real life, there are several answers to anything. And entrepreneurs are like that. They will see another answer. That's not in the book. And that's usually the secret to their success. That's a very good nugget you're telling us right there. Thanks for sharing that. Absolutely. So I think in the case of Butch, um, 
he wanted to go into the air con sell air conditioners in initially. And what he did, he went around and sold, pre-sold air conditioners, right? To uh, to 30 people, I think it was. But he didn't have any to sell. Wow. Having secured those orders, right? He then tried to find a distributor. And he actually flew to the to New Jersey or someplace and uh, tried to get an appointment to see uh, somebody. They wouldn't give it to him, of course. Who's this guy from Jamaica? He wants, we don't know him from anywhere. We want to deal with an established company. But he was so persistent. I think he ran into a member of the of the owning family. And they this guy heard his story and said, all right, give him a chance. What's the, what can we lose? 30 air conditioners, right? So, and he was in business. And but he differentiated himself because he, he promised that if you bought an air conditioner from us, we will have it installed the same day. And then they, so that was his thing. And so he captured the market. And there's a story, I think it's, in, I cover it in the book, where there was one case where they had an order for an air conditioned unit. And they went to the house to, to install it. Nobody was home. The house was locked up. And they broke into the house, <laughs> installed the thing, and then they, they, they paid for the repair of the door or whatever. But that's how insistent they were to you know, follow through and they promised to deliver the same day. When he bought his first hotel, he did everything wrong, right? He bought it at a time when there were, tourists were not coming to Jamaica. The economy was you know, in the gutter. And he bought a hotel that was run down, and it was at the base, I think it was at the end of the runway in Montego Bay. So whenever, you know, uh, planes taken off, there's a horrendous noise. But he turned it around, fixed it up, and he turned that disaster into a success. Because what he did was, whenever the plane was taken off, they would tell the guests that, oh, that means you should kiss. So they're, usually they're couples, right, on vacation. That's a, that means you should kiss and wave to the airplane. So that became a thing, you know, it became a fun thing instead of, they turned that negative into a positive. Wow, and that he, was so ingenious. That was I thought that was that was a genius, absolutely. And then he realized that give people more than they expect, you know, exceed their expectations. So he started putting stuff in their in their rooms, you know, uh, hair dryers, radios, you name it, you know, things that they normally wouldn't get in a regular hotel. And so he became known for, you know, the quality. And today they they command a premium because it's luxury, right? Yeah, the luxury sandals man. name and yeah. the beaches. For right. families, so, is so, is a, a very nice yeah. uh, logo out there, right? Oh yeah, and 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 so the stories are all like that. I remember the guy who um, Vincent Chang, the guy who founded Tasty Patties. He his story. I think his father was born in Jamaica. It was a Chinese guy born in Jamaica. He went back to China um, because in those days, I think the Chinese would send their sons back to get, soak up some culture. So he got married there and had some kids and they, were, and they were planning to come back to Jamaica. And he died, I think, two days before the, the ship sailed. Wow. So, yeah, the father died. So he came in. They came anyway. His mother and the sons came. And then, but of course, she couldn't really uh, support them. So he lived with some relatives. So he grew up in, their, in several different shops, which in a way, it sounds bad, but with, he... Whereas most people had the experience of one shop, he had several shops. Yeah, he worked in several shops. So he got a wide range of experience because, you know, he had to work for his keep in the shop. So eventually, though, when he finished school, 
he got a job at one of the bakeries in Jamaica, but he got the night shift and then he got married and his wife complained that, hey, you know, this nighttime job is not working. So he realized that, you know, he had to do something different. So uh, he saw an opportunity when someone was selling a small restaurant and he borrowed the money, you know, from friends and relatives, whatever, set that up. And at that time, the number one seller was meatloaf in that little shop. But he liked to, you know, he, because he liked baking, he, he was experimenting with the pastry and he liked to make pies and so on. So yes. he experimented with the patties. I think he said there is to sell a few patties a day, nothing much, nothing to speak of. And But he experimented with the patty crust and the meat. And finally, he, he found one that was a hit and he opened the shop, put it in the shop, sold like hotcakes. So what he did was he went all in. He, he got rid of everything else in the store. No more uh, no meat. More meat. No more whatever, patties and soft drinks. And that's how Tasty's came into being. Um, and then and at one it. time, Tasty was the big swing in Jamaica. Oh, Today it's Juicy thing. Beef. Now it's Juicy right. Beef, but Tasty now, was a big thing. Now, yeah, so they have, you know, you have copies, you know, you have other people, have, you know, like Burger King and McDonald's, right? You know, <laughs> so, but that was the story. So there are lots of stories. They're fascinating stories to see how people overcame the odds and started from nowhere. You know, people think you have to be born into money and, you know, but no, you can start small and work your way up. But you have to have the vision and, of course, the, the eye to see the opportunity where, you know, usually there are a lot of problems. And then also the persistence to stick with all the problems that come up too, right? Exactly. Stick to itiveness, as they say, right? Stick with it. Don't give up. Keep keep plugging away. You were sharing something about a lady. I don't know if it was a friend of yours that about this musical bed story about how immigrants tend to make things work when they first come to the U.S. just to survive. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. So when I first came to New, to New York, right? Uh, my grandmother said, oh, don't worry, don't take anything. You're going to your family, you know, because my uncle right, was over here. But it turns out that he had gotten divorced, <laughs> okay, by the time I, I arrived. So he no longer lived in the, you know, the house and all of that. He was living with, I think, his girlfriend and in her house. And her mother owned a building. Uh, so the fascinating thing about that was that this lady worked at night, right? She was a Jamaican too, but her story is also fascinating in its own right because she came to America at age of 55 after, after raising six kids, right? Never went to high school or anything. But she worked, she got a job in a hospital working at uh, the night shift. And before long, she had saved up enough to um, to buy a an apartment building, a small, a four-unit a four apartment building. And so she had one. So the, the, the joke was that at night, she would go to work at 11 and somebody would sleep in her bed. All right. Yeah, even, yeah, exactly. And then in, in the day, she would come and she would sleep in in the bed during the day. Then she had a sister who would, you know, worked out during the week. And so five days a week, she's away. But on the weekend, she comes. So she needs a bed. So they'd find a bed and she would sleep on that bed for two nights and then she'd be gone again. And so people was always like that. The beds are always changing and, you know, people are always coming in, spending a few months and before they moved on. And, I, I, me too. I was there for several months before I moved on, and um, uh, I remember living in a in a bed you know, in uh, in Brooklyn, and the landlord 
I had a room. The landlord was a Jamaican guy, right? This guy was fascinating to me, right? This guy didn't go to high school or anything. He worked in a factory during the day. He owned the house, but he rented out each room, right? So he had one room. He rented out all the other rooms. So he was collecting rent. And at night, he drove a taxi. This guy never slept, right? So it shows you what could be done, right? Today, the house is probably millions, uh, you know. That's the great examples exhibiting that immigrant mentality, the immigrant spirit to, you know, the energy and drive that people bring when they come to this country where they feel like right. there is endless opportunities to expand, right? right? And I know people who came here. I have a relative. He, he drove a bus. He didn't even finish primary school. And his wife um, also. I think she worked on the bus as a conductor. And they came to America late. She got a job in a hospital. He got a job at, you know, as a mechanic or something. The first thing they wanted to do was buy a house. They didn't care what it took. They were going to buy a house. And they bought, but they bought the duplex. So they could have, you know, rent one unit and then they lived in another. And before you know it, they had another one. Today, they live in Florida. They sold everything and retired to Florida. Living, every time you call them, they're cruising some river, <laughs> living the good life. America, I tell people, America, there has a lot of problems. But it's also a land of a lot of opportunities. So if you focus on the problems, guess what? You won't get anywhere. But if you look for the opportunities, there are opportunities everywhere. You just have to look for it. I agree. I call it acres of diamonds, but you have to have that eye to see it, right? You have to, yeah. So, you know, like the, the saying is some people see a glass of water. It's half full. Some see it, it's half empty, right? <laughs> so you have to learn to see the opportunity amidst the problems yes and don't let the, there's a lot of distractions here too don't get that wrong now right exactly you can get sidetracked and you know partying and whatever and before you know it you've forgotten why you were here so and I, especially I, here's the thing i think that helped jamaicans is a lot of people come here because they're planning to go back mm. so they're not thinking well i'm gonna live here forever and i'm just gonna so they with that mindset they're always you know looking to well how, what can i you know how am I getting closer to my goal of going back and buying a big house and living large or whatever? And, and a lot of people have done that. But I think that has made a big difference for many people by, by having that focus, you know, not losing focus and getting you know, trapped into the everyday, the everyday life. I think a lot of immigrants have that too. Maybe the older ones, they want to go back to the life that they were raised in, the culture that they know. The, the roots that they have in certain countries, not only Jamaicans, I think it spreads across the yeah, globe yeah, where a lot yeah, of people feel that way. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a natural instinct. So maybe right. everybody's an immigrant. <laughs> Tell us what's the name. I see that you've published one or two books here on your bio, sir. Like, tell us how, how do people find your book? Check those out. What are you doing these days? Right. So I have two books. The uh, first one is uh, Jamaican Entrepreneurship, which we talked a little bit about. That's available on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble, even Walmart, I think uh, you can get it. You can also go to my website called it's glenlaman.com, G-L-E-N-L-A-M-A-N.com. Uh, you will see links there to the books and descriptions and, you know, previews, whatever, reviews. Uh, the second book is I co-authored with a friend of mine, and that's a new, a recent book. During the pandemic, uh, my friend Basil and I, you know, we said, what should we do? We're going crazy. <laughs> it's, 
So we said, let's put together our Jamaican stories. So we put we came up with a book of 15 short stories on Jamaican life. That's also available on Amazon and, and you can see it on my on my webpage as well. Uh, right. But it's 15 ordinary Jamaicans. So the first book is about 15 very successful Jamaicans, right? They're the top of the top of the line uh, entrepreneurs. But these are regular people, the everyday life, you know. There's a lady trying to build a house. Um, there's a lady who opened a little restaurant. There's a, you know somebody who owns a bed and breakfast in Jamaica. Just regular life. There's even an Obia man in there. Whoa! So Everything the name is the name is the hero of Fern Gully and other Jamaican short stories, right? Correct. Yes, the hero of Fern Gully. Yes, and and that's uh, that's one of the one of the stories in there is is about uh, an adventure in Fern Gully. Yeah. Are you still board member of the Jamaican Museum and Cultural Center of Atlanta? Yes, I'm still there. Yes. Right. And then former president and founding board member of the Jamaican Chamber of Commerce of Atlanta, Jam Chan, and the current ex-officio board member. Yes, that's true. Wow. And then former president and founding member of the Kingston College Old Boys Association of Georgia. That's true. I'm still on the board. Right. And then founding editor of the um, Kingston College Times and Internet Magazine of the Kingston College Community. Yes, that's a publication we put out several times a year with all the news about, you know, that's of interest to the old boys and the school. And I think as a younger person coming up, I really applaud the people from your generation. You guys have really done well with staying in touch and keeping a community of past students. I know a few folks, we've moved here, like we've been here in the Atlanta area for, I want to say, three or four years, and I've come across quite a bit of groups, you know, like the Clarendon College has one, KCE, JC, um, the other high school, the girl high school, St. Andrews, and so forth. So right. that's that's really a great example for those of us who are coming up to stay in touch and and to do fundraising to support communities back on the island. Right. And I have a website where we post events that are upcoming. It's just a website I've been, I've been maintaining for years now where people send me their flyers and we post them. So you can see what's any given month. You can see what um, what program, what fundraising activities. Most of the events are, are nonprofit events. And um, so if you want to see what's happening in June, you could go there and see all the events listed. And right. There's always something to do. Um, and what's the name of that website, sir? Share, okay, share so that that's, that's Jamlanta, J-A-M-L-A-N-T-A dot O-R-G, Jamlanta dot org. And just go to the events section and you'll see all the flyers for the different events. So any parting words? I'm so appreciative of your time. I, I want to be respectful of it. Any parting words for younger, younger Jamaicans, younger folks from the Caribbean, uh, younger immigrants in general about how to thrive here in the United States? You've given us a few nuggets there already. Right. So my advice would be, first of all, you should have a goal. If the first goal doesn't work out, do something else. I wanted to be a doctor when I was younger. That didn't work out. I tried. I tried. It, it didn't. I ended up doing other things. So try something. If it doesn't work, move on to the next thing. Uh, but keep focused on it. Don't be distracted by, by the uh, you know, difficulties. There are going to be problems. Uh, I, I don't. It doesn't matter where you live. You, you know, 
There's always going to be a problem. There's always going to be obstacles. But realize that, guess what? There's always a way around obstacles. I, either you jump over or you can go around, okay? And so you have to figure out that there's a way around every obstacle. And uh, just let that be your guiding principle. That Hey, I'm trying to do this and let's see how we can do it. Right. And, and then as sometimes I think some of the younger folk, these preconceptions that, you know, certain folks have, I don't know, have it a bit easier perhaps, but just listening to your story and how, you know, your family may have come into some finances during your younger years, but having lost that, how you had to work yourself back. How did things fear for your mom? I, I hope she, you know, I'm not sure if she's still with us or, you know. Yes, she's still with us. She lives with me now. So I'm very happy that I can, I can um, take care of my mom now. She's 93. <laughs> so she so longevity runs on her side uh you know her grand, my mother my grandmother her mother lived to be 98 so i'm very happy that I, i'm able to take care of her in her old age yeah. so right really that was certainly one of my um on my to-do list very good very good and that's very typical i think of immigrant families we tend to look out for our parents when they get older, they move in with us, which I think is very healthy for the grandchildren yeah. and everybody involved. And it's healthy for them too. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Healthy for the community to look out for our older folks. And we, we all learn from each other, right? Absolutely. But we thank you so much for sharing your story with us, Dr. Uh, Laman. Well, thank you, Simone. I enjoyed it. and uh, Thank you for having me. We wish you very much uh, success in your retirement years, lots of good health and, you know, meaningful work as you continue to contribute to our community, sir. Thank you. So have a great weekend. We thank you so much for sharing with the immigrant experience in America. Okay. Bye. Friends, as always, please subscribe, comment, and share if you enjoyed this interview. If you're passionate about telling immigrant stories, our team is looking for help. If you're willing to help with podcast production, social media, or Patreon management, please reach out to us. You can also donate on our Patreon if it's easier for you. All the links are in the description below. Thank you.